Welcome to the final episode of the Flat Out RC podcast for the year. My name is Andrew Sill, host of this podcast coming to you all the way from the land down under. And if you're new to this podcast, which you probably aren't, well, this podcast is all about radio control flight. We're talking about planes, helis, and drones. Well, a bit of a different episode this week. No special guests. It's almost like a year in review kind of episode leading up to Christmas and the Christmas holidays that we experience down here in Australia, our summer holidays, which we are all looking forward to. You know, what a year it has been. So, as I said, different kind of show, but but lots to stay tuned uh, into. Uh, so we're going to be covering a whole bunch of different things. We're going to be looking at some of our highlights from the year. Uh, you know, um, I'll share my plans for 2020. Um, and then we'll give out a few prizes, a few awards. Uh, you know, the Flat Out RC Awards, we'll call them. So let's take a look at what's been happening around the traps. Well, end of the year is here. Uh, fortunately, where I am down here in Melbourne, we've had some reasonable flying conditions. Uh, as I look out the window today, it's the weekend prior to the launch of this podcast, which comes out every Wednesday. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. Uh, beautiful day for flying. Um, I've injured myself, as I mentioned last week. Uh, I dislocated my shoulder and there's only one thing. This is an example of what we aero models are like. There's only really one thing that I'm looking forward to being able to do in the near future, and that is to go and fly my model aeroplanes. I just want to get to the point where I can fly in the next few weeks. Just have to do it. That's that's how much a pl- part aeromodding plays in my life that I just want to go and fly model aeroplanes and be healthy enough to go and fly model aeroplanes. So slowly getting there, uh, a bit more time needs to go by to get the, the mobility back into my shoulder. Uh, still a little bit of pain, but uh, I think my, my strategy is maybe start with some gliders, some light foamies, that kind of thing, because I can physically fly a plane. My, my hands are okay, my, you know, lower arms, I can move, just my shoulder, I can't move. But uh, lifting up a plane, maneuvering it around the, the pit area and things like that is just a bit a bit awkward. So maybe uh, a little uh, hand launch uh, kind of foamy and maybe some slope soaring, stuff like that. So that's what I'm hoping to do. Uh, MAAA, our flying association down here has sent out their Christmas message, which is uh, really nice of them. Um, it's been an interesting year. Uh, uh, one that is dominated, of course, by COVID. Uh, but what can we do about it? We can't do much, uh, except make the most of the situation. I think most of us did that this year. Uh, most of us got in the sheds, built new models, uh, you know, jumped on the simulator, kept ourselves busy. Uh, got another bit of a, an outbreak happening in, in the, the northern beaches of Sydney. Hopefully, uh, not many of you are affected by that. It's a terrible time of year to have lockdowns. Australia's been doing really, really well as far as managing the COVID situation. You know, very, very few cases. And now this outbreak in New South Wales it could put a dampener over the Christmas period, uh, which... Uh, hope can be contained so the borders can stay open so there we have it now i mentioned earlier that we're going to have some awards and i'll do a few now and then i'll do a few later as well but 
since we're talking about news, and news has been a bit light on this year, we've had a bit of a disjointed kind of thing, but there's sort of a, a few awards that I want to give out that relate to what we've covered in our news this year. So starting off with the top news of the year. A drum roll, please. The top news of the year. That is for the award that dominated our news, and you guessed it, the winner is COVID. COVID was the top news of the year. It, it really impacted our flying abilities. It affected the industry. Uh it affected the industries in some positive ways. A lot of hobby stores had record sales. You know, they, were, they just couldn't keep up. But supply of stock is still hard to come by. There is a backlog. Uh, supply chains were affected, manufacturing processes. So we're still chasing our tail. But the sales were quite good. But COVID, you win. Absolutely terrible situation this year, thanks to COVID. And it just felt, felt like every... Every time I'd record this podcast, I'm going to talk about the news and there was hardly anything to talk about because there weren't any events happening. And that's what I really want to use the news section for us to talk about events, anything that's happening club level, that kind of thing. But if you're not flying, well, there's not much news to share when it comes to flying activities. So COVID, go away, uh, which I think it will will get the vaccine starting to spread uh, in other countries. We're seeing it in the US. We're seeing, I think, Spain's about to start rolling things out. UK, uh, so Australia, we're expecting sort of March time, we'll start getting the vaccine rolling and it'll drip through society, hopefully by the end of 2021. So there you go. Top news of the year. Award goes to COVID. So now to another award. Uh, again, as I mentioned, giving out awards sort of related to our news section. And one of the things I use the news section to do is to, to, to share news about new models that uh, may have been developed. And we saw, I wouldn't say a plethora of models come out this year there were there were some from from some major brands uh but not a lot i would have expected a bit more in a normal year but we were still lucky to get some uh, exciting models so this next award is the award for the model of the year drumroll please well our model of the year is from Horizon Hobby, the Hangar 9 brand, the X-Cub. That's right, a cub wins. Who would have thought that those words would come out of my mouth, that I would award a cub. But I'm, I'm, I'm in particular, I'm talking about the Hangar 9 Cub Crafters Cub FX3, the 100 to 200cc model, the big, big, giant scale uh, cub that uh, one of our guests, Ellen Machinchi, was involved in developing uh, for uh, Hangar 9. Now, this, this cub is massive. It, it's got something like a four-meter wingspan. Um, you know, power power from anything from 100cc right up to, you know, the DLE triple two kind of motor um, can go into that that model plane. So you can really power it up to suit whatever kind of style of flying you're going going with. Uh, it's got operational flaps, great stall capability. Um, I think they had lights included, landing lights, things like that. Um, some really high scale detail, big wheels, but it was, it's, it's the biggest cub that they've produced really. It, it was massive and it is massive. And a, a number have been sold here in Australia. One of my friends has got one. Uh, he'd be pleased that uh, I've awarded it the claim, the model of the year. But I think uh, 
going out on a on a limb and building a giant scale carb, 165 inch wingspan, is a big punt for Horizon Hobby, and and well done for doing that because you know it's not a cheap exercise to go and put one of these models together. We're talking about many thousands of dollars, so your actually market size is pretty small. But you know, we need these kind of planes to be to to be built. Uh, and the plane flies really well. Looking at some of the videos, Alan and Shinji flying it. Um, the uh, you can fly it aerobatically. Of course, you can fly it like a traditional cub, stall turns and slow flight things like that. It, it just excels. You know, it's a versatile airframe, and and most people love a cub. Uh, and this is basically not the traditional sort of J three cub. It is like the the cub crafters kind of uh, modern day variation on. On the cub, so you'll notice the cows are a little bit more modern and a bit different because you know they've got bigger motors in them nowadays. But that versatility of being able to you know bolt a, a massive quad cylinder petrol engine up the front, right down to just the twin the hundred cc, shows how versatile it is and how how like the wing loading uh, would be. And it's and it's got a great scheme as well. It's a blue, white, and red, which is my favourite colours on a model. And they actually are based on a, on a real a real cub crafters uh model um not sorry not a model full-size plane so hangar nine cub crafters cub fx3 100 to 200 cc uh well done you win the flat out rc model of the year we have another uh another award here which relates to products and we i'm calling it new tech of the year uh, and that's looking at what technology has really come into the hobby in the past year that we've been really impressed with? Um, something that I thought, you know, added to the gain in technology that uh, took things to a different level. And look, roll the drums and we'll announce the winner. Well, this year, the New Tech of the Year, the Flat Out RC New Tech of the Year Award goes to the brand Spectrum with their new iX20 transmitter. Uh, well done, Team Spectrum, for the radio that you produce. Now, why did I give this radio, the 20-channel iX20 radio, the New Tech of the Year Award? Well, I think what, they, what that radio resembles is a potential future of where radios could go from a from a, a coding perspective from a functionality perspective and paves the way for a lot more technology to be added on at a very cost effective price now what i'm talking about is the, the ix20 a bit like it's it's uh first iteration the ix12 uh is an android operating system based device so it's a bit like what we see in a smartphone or a samsung smartphone and being based on an android platform means that you can code a lot of different things. There's a lot more coders that can code for that. It's not some proprietary system that traditional uh, transmitter companies need to employ to, to, to code their their um, transmitters. What it introduces is other functionality such as Bluetooth connectivity, uh, internet connectivity, so that you can jump online and uh, you know check out. <laughs> download updates uh easily download model updates um color screen uh you know you can play music whilst you're flying you can watch a video on the screen um 
the intuitive layout that you can now have on the screen as a result of using the Android operating system makes it easier for uh, for programming. Um, so that helps, you know, with usability. So Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, USB connectivity, the Bluetooth, you, know, you can put things like Bluetooth headphones in. So now you can listen to your Vario silently so you don't have to annoy everybody around you or, you know, play some music whilst you're flying if you're practicing a freestyle routine or, uh, you know, listen to your telemetry readouts, um, which I think is a, a great thing. Um, simply talk to it. It's, you know, it's got it's voice enabled. Um Programmable voice alerts, twenty-four program mixes, forward programming. So a lot of the a lot of the stuff that we see in a lot of high-end radios now, put into this uh, unit on the fly, fine tuning, touch switching, T- turn timers on or off for activated program voice alerts with just your touch. Um, touching the ends of the transmitters and things like that to trigger things. Um, crossfire module compatible, but yeah, I think that that Android system, and I think the iX12. I think the biggest complaint with the iX12 was the, the load-up time when you first turn on the transmitter, but they address that now with um, with the iX20. It's a lot faster to, to get up and running once you load it. Um, but I just think it could be the future. You know, Spectrum says it's the next generation, and I do think it is. And it's going to be interesting to see where they go with it, uh, where they take this technology and how they can utilize that, that Android operating system even further. So uh, well done to the team at Spectrum for advancing our hobby in 2020 with the release of the Spectrum iX20 radio. Now we'll park the awards, the Flat Out RC annual 2020 awards, Logies, Oscars ceremony. And we'll move on to some of the highlights from this year. And the highlights from this year really relate to guests that we've had on the show. And we've had an awesome selection of guests. I, I was flicking through all the different episodes that uh, I've done this year, and there's 38. We did 30. This is the number 38. And that's 38 in a row. I've never seen anybody else in the hobby industry do that. Um, and I do it because I love doing it. I really enjoy doing it. It's not too much of a burden. Uh, you know, I. I yeah, I just really enjoy doing it. The hardest part of doing this podcast is really teeing up guests and making sure that they're available and and trying to keep a, a constant flow of interesting guests that uh, you want to hear from. Uh, but we managed to do that this year and really had a great selection of guests from all around the world. So not only here in Australia, but uh, in Europe and uh, in the US as well. But I want to sort of share a few clips from some of the ones that I really enjoyed and really thought that um, they added, you know, these guests added a lot of value to to my to my thinking and hopefully your thinking as well. And the first one, uh, the clip I want to play is one of a very early on podcast. I think it was from episode three, and it's from uh, it was with a man by the name of David Law. David Law is is one of Australia's top scale modelers who has represented Australia many many times at world championship level and his signature model that he's probably working really hard with at, at world champs level is his pits, his two-seater pits that he, he modeled. And it, it is a phenomenal aircraft that's been recognized on the world stage as being a, a great um, plane. And so I'm going to hand over now to the clip of David talking about his pits model and how it came about um, because I think that is 
it's just a really interesting story and shows the commitment, the dedication that David has to producing an aircraft that is going to represent Australia well at world champ level, but also um, shows his level of commitment to the art of scale model building. Okay. Um, well, as I said earlier, I, I'm a great believer if you want to do well, you attach yourself to the people that do well. And um, um, I, I had a look at Andreas Luthi, who's been many-time world champion, champion from Switzerland. I've got a lot of respect for the man. Um, when I first met him, he spoke very little English. So it was, you know, other than smile and nod, it was hard to have any communication with him. And he's not on Facebook or social media. So um, I just looked at what he did and how he did it. And I decided, firstly, the Australian attitude of every time there's a new world championships, let's build a new model was wrong. I thought you need to you need to build the right model and you need to stick with it for a number of years and improve on it. Um, I had a look at what he was flying, um, which was uh, he flies a, a Bucker um, Antares, which is a souped-up Jungmeister. Um, it's a biplane. Biplanes aren't ideal for, for competition for different reasons, crosswinds and, and weathers, that type of thing. But um, I... I didn't want to build – I was thinking of building a, a Bucky Jungweiss and I thought, no, it's too similar. I want to do something different. So I don't love pit specials, believe it or not. Um, but I looked at it from the point of view that I was, I was building a tool that was going to get me what I wanted. I wasn't building something I loved. Um, and I made the other decision that it had to be something I could see, touch, measure – um, do all the things I needed to do to make it accurate as possible because when it comes down to it, if you haven't got a good static score, you haven't got a chance. And and you can't get a good static score if you're building an aircraft and then finding a colour scheme and painting it and you've never seen the, the real one. So um, after a bit of thinking, a bit of hunting around, I, st I did start to look at pitch specials because I knew that there were a number of them in Australia and I'd be able to get to them. Um I don't like flying flat manoeuvres. I like flying more aerobatic-type manoeuvres, so that suited the pits. Um, and then I, I decided I didn't want to go for a modern-day sort of C-model pits. It hasn't got as much surface detail on it, and it flies a higher level of aerobatics. So I also discovered that the S2 models, which is the twin-seaters, had a longer fuselage moment and um, – and was slightly bigger wingspan. So that directed me to an early two-seat model pits, which was the S2A. Um, I was hunting around Australia for an S2A and then found out by sheer fluke there was one in my backyard at Moorabbin Airport. And um, I ended up, during the course of this time, I, I wrote to Aviate Pits to see if I could get the drawings for the full-size aircraft because I knew Pit Special did home build. Um, to my disappointment, the S2A was the only one that they didn't release the plans and they didn't want to give them to me because of copyright reasons. I was scared I was going to build one. Um, after a lot of negotiation, I convinced them that I was a modeler and they agreed to send me elements of the drawings that I require but not the full set of drawings. Um, I also discovered an ex-PITS um, test pilot from the States, David Pilkington, lived in um, Victoria and operated a training school out of Moorabbin Airport. So I got in touch with David 
went down, saw the pits for the first time, um, decided it was what I was going to do. Um, it was pitch at S2A VHSZD. And um, while I was measuring it, David said to me, you'll have to be quick. Someone's going up in it. And um, 20 minutes later, he said, right, empty your pockets and get in. And he took me up for a fly. I didn't know it was me, but he'd already decided. Um, and that sold me on it. So I, I, it was 2006 I decided I was going to do the pits. I spent two years researching it and getting the information I thought was enough information to start building it. Um, and then I would have started building it around 2008 and I first competed with it in 2010 and I think I placed fourth. I, I got pipped at the post by another uh, ex-world champion, Peter McDermott, who's an exceptional modeler. Um, but I did very well and, and that started the ball rolling of my theory of, right, let's not change aeroplane now, let's start improving it. So after the event, I approached the judges asked them everything they could remember that they'd seen that was wrong with it. And um, I made a habit of that over the next few championships. And um, I kind of laugh because people say to me, oh, you're taking the pits again. Well, yeah, I'm taking the pits again, but it's not the same pits I took last year or the year before or the year before. Um, it's continually changing. And um, in 2014, it paid off. Um, I won static and I placed third overall and uh, Australia placed second as a team. David Law, what a modeler, really a standout modeler in the Australian scene and on the world stage and continuing to do so. He's always got new models that he's working on uh, and it'd be interesting if he's, I think he will continue to take his pits to the uh, world champs. Uh, he keeps on refining it and improving it. So just get better and better that model, but love that story about uh, David's pits. Now, Next one, next clip, is one that I really, really enjoyed and I uh, was really glad to bring it to the audience. And that was a, a, a chat that I had with the MAAA secretary, Tyson Dodd. And it, it's been a standout for me for, for a long time, that, that interview, because I learned a lot about the function of the MAAA and the value that they give us that often we don't see. And... So this little clip is Tyson, who is the secretary of the MAAA, as I mentioned. Uh, so he's managing a lot of the day-to-day -day affairs of the MAAA and, and doing a really good job at it and the hard hard work. It's a hard job, especially this year. Even with not as much flying going on, Tyson was a busy guy um, taking calls nonstop all day. But this little clip here is Tyson explaining... Uh, the key area is where I think the MAAA adds value to us, and that's through insurance. But prior to insurance, talking about the, what we call the MOPs, the uh, the um, our operating manuals, basically. And but I won't go into too much detail, but listen to what Tyson has to say, and then just think about what he's talking about and what that means for us as, a, as an aero modeler that can go out flying at a flying club. And to me, I thought, it added a lot of confidence that being an MAAA member is actually a good thing. So here's a little clip for Tyson Dodd. MOPs or the manuals and procedures that we've, we've drafted and documented over the, the long history of, of the association has, has been sort of um, architected by, I guess, unfortunately, um, experience. So, for example, um, 
uh, let's use uh, the night flying MOP that we have. So as MAAA members, we, we have an exemption to be able to fly um, at night. Now, obviously, that goes against the um, CASA 101, which has no no error modelling would be basically would occur during the night time. But we have a procedure in place and applied for an exemption. Now, with our insurance, we wouldn't actually be able to do that unless we had one an exemption and be a procedure. But we wouldn't have got the exemption if we didn't have the procedure. And likewise, without a procedure in place, we wouldn't be included in our insurance for night flying if there wasn't a particular procedure. So the majority of the, the guidelines of the MOP have all the manuals and procedures. Uh, a lot of a lot of members or, or people say, well, hang on a minute, you've got all these rules and regulations, et cetera, et cetera. But when you sit down and read the MOPs that we have, they are essentially exactly what CASA requires for us to operate, but they're a procedure. So they're documented processes um, and the background of the reasons why um, we operate that way. Now, that does two things. It, it, it provides a duty of care to our clubs and our members. So it's, it's by providing those points and those, those processes that they've got a surety if they, they need to refer to it. Okay, well, this is how I do it. This is why I do it. And this is what the outcome is going to be. But the other um, side of the coin is that we're able to use those MOPs as justification when we apply for our, all of our insurance policies and I'll use the plural there and I'll come back to that in a minute, uh, for all of our insurance policies when we do our renewal to demonstrate to our insurer, you know, we're not, not a bunch of cowboys. We have been doing this for quite some, some time. And here's proof of the documentation that we've architect, you know, our architects have done over the, over the years to, to provide the direction on, on how members will operate. So I used plural just before, I, I said insurance policy. So we're, we're not just a one, one insurance policy type association. Um, you know, the, the, the better men that have come and gone before me have, have identified really to, to be doing what we're doing right. We need to address um, basically all the risk levels of our operations. Now, um, a lot of members will call and they say, I want a copy of my, of my insurance policy. And I say, okay, well, which one? Because we actually have six. We we operate on obviously under public liability. That's probably the biggest, the biggest one, the or most important one for our use, because that basically indemnifies a landowner or ourselves as error models if we cause an impact to someone external to our to our flying site. Or um, you know, for example, I'll I'll use a, a, an example a couple of years ago where we set fire to a to a paddock from a, an IC aeroplane. Now that public liability was in place and, and it was able to indemnify that landowner and that member from the damage that that fire caused. So the public liability is a really big one, but we've actually got, got others in our, in our suite as well. So because we've got clubs that operate as incorporated associations, we have, we have several other covers. So we have um, products cover, we have um, cyber insurance, we have um, uh, a policy which caters for um, our committees, so indemnity for, for our committees if they unfortunately make a wrong decision. We also have a policy which I think is pretty important and that's our member-to-member -member insurance policy. Now, that basically means that if I'm down, down the club flying with my son and um, uh, one, of, one of the older guys lose sight of his plane and it crashes in the pits and it hits my son and he needs medical assistance, that insurance policy assists 
me in out-of-pocket expenses to um, get medical attention for my son. Um, vice versa, if it's myself that's hit and I can't work for you know a month, it steps in to cover the income that I would lose from not being able to work. It, it basically protects my family to ensure that a, I can still pay my bills, I can put food on the table and I've got a roof over my head for my kids. So that's that was another policy that was brought in by the previous um, previous committee uh, executive committee and, and council members uh, years gone by to to provide that as additional cover for our members, which which I just think is amazing that um, that an association of our our type and scale here in Australia has has that suite of insurance coverage for our members. So there you have it, insurance. We have a lot of coverage from the MPAA which I'm thankful for. Uh, and when you think about how much we pay, which is not a lot in the whole scheme of things, we get a lot of coverage that can protect us and, you know, uh, down the track. Uh, so big thank you to Tyson, a big thank you to the MAAA for the work that they've been doing in 2020. Uh, and uh, and they'll continue to do as well. Now we're going to go overseas. Uh, we've got a couple of uh, overseas clips from a couple of overseas guests. And I was really, really, uh, you know, chuffed that I was able to get Ali Machinchi on the line to have a chat with me. Um, Ali, originally from the UK, uh, ran hobby shops there with his family and then got, uh, not poached, but invited by Horizon Hobby to come over and work for them in, in product development. And so I love sharing stories from behind the scenes of the hobby, especially in the industry. And, and some of it I've been exposed to through some of the connections I've had and some of the work that I've done. But Having Ali on the line from what I consider to be probably the biggest hobby brand in the world, Horizon Hobby, um, and having that opportunity to, to ask him the questions about product development and how a model comes about, I, I loved this little section that I'm going to play to you. Uh, you know, I, I look, I enjoyed the whole chat with Ali, uh, and but he was, yeah, phenomenal in explaining us to us how a model comes to life under the Horizon Hobby banner. And what you see, it's a lot is involved. So here's Ali Machinchi talking about the Horizon Hobby product development process. It's very much a team process. I'm the only developer. Um, well, no, actually, it's not. It's a, it's a lie. Um, I'm the senior developer for Hangar 9. Um, we have another developer who works on eFlight, but also will help out. He's just done a... Uh, product which will be released in the next few months so yeah basically it will be the team is the behind the scenes guys like my brand manager alex albors um my marketing manager our marketing director steve petrado um we have a category manager eric johnson we have a category director chris hewn and basically i'll come up with an idea i'll say right i want to make an old strip i want to make a or rv4 rv4 is a good example because that was my first project that i did completely by myself like a grown-up until before that the first three or four were projects i picked up off of previous developers that had been in the system had to finish off had to round off and so forth the rv4 was like a plane that i wanted to do i like rv i like rvs in general i like um, a four is my favorite and um yeah i went to my brand manager i said out i'll make an rv4 what do you reckon he's like okay tell me more give him an idea of size, roughly what I want it to, you know, how big I want it to be, what engine category or 
uh, electric motor category, start selling it to my brand manager, basically. And he can either at that stage go, yeah, OK, let's give it a go. Or he says, that's an awful idea. If he says, yeah, let's give it a go, we'll go into a team meeting with all the, the other people I mentioned, the directors, um, the category directors and so forth, and pitch it and say, like, this is what I want to do. What do you think? And if they all agree, then we'll put it on the system. Our computer system, uh, QuickBase, basically tracks a project from the very beginning to the very end. And um, yeah, there can be anywhere up to, I think the latest version of it is 92 steps in each project development. I hate to use the term boxes that need to be ticked, but they are boxes to move on. And um, yeah, so from if, if we get a green light, they'll take it through to exec level, which we're, then suddenly purchasing will come in, sales will come in, um, and they'll. You know, it's, it's not quite like um, Shark Tank or something like that, but it feels very similar sometimes. Where you're like, okay, we want to make this project, and if it gets green lighted, then they'll say to me, right, go, and I'll. I'll I would normally already have a vendor in mind. We have about four vendors that we work with right now on Hangar 9. Um, I would have a, a vendor in mind for that particular project. And then I'd send what I call, I call a wish list. We've got a much more professional term for it at work, but it's my wish list. It's my, I want this airplane. I want it to be this big. I want it to be, this is my target weight. This is my target cost. This is my wing section. This is my incidence. You know, all that sort of stuff. You know, I want it to have an opening side door. I want it to have lights. I want it to have wing bags. And, you know, you go in hot and heavy with the wish list. And, um, yeah, from, from there, you have a bunch of correspondence with the vendor. It can be anywhere from, I don't know, a week of emails up to a couple of months, really, if you really want to get into battling out with, uh, with a factory for, for getting what you want. And then they send you a sample. Um, sample will come very, very raw basic color scheme and this in wood it's very much different to foam development that's a another way of um developing but you'll get a raw sample in wood i'll put it together have a squawk list i mean behind the camera right now i've got six project squawk lists um, which i'm running through which is basic stuff like okay don't like this do like this this needs changing that needs improving yada 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 and then go and fly the sample keep writing that squawk list um you normally add a lot to it when you get out to the field and start wrenching on it and, and and pulling on it and um yeah you send that to the 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 vendor and sample two will come that can be i mean the quickest i've ever done sample one to two is a uh, probably 12 weeks sometimes it can be a lot longer um and then you'll do that back and forth through we try and do three samples. Um, I've done four before and I've done two before, stuff like the Ultra Stick, which was dead simple. That was a, a two-rounder. Um, and then, yeah, it's you keep whittling down, ticking off those boxes until you're ready to release. And um, yeah, you've got a target date throughout this whole system, an ETR that you're constantly being held to and um, all being well. Normally takes 12 months is a quick project. Um, 18 months is about normal average. I'm four years deep into one project so far, so far, which is uh, yeah, getting a little bit testing right now. But um, yeah, they, they vary depending on the complexity of the plane. Now, I'll tell you what, Alan Machinchi, he's, he's the perfect podcast guest, really, when you think about it, because he's articulate. He's so passionate. You know, we had the, we had our cameras on. When I did that interview, normally I don't keep my camera on just to, to protect the bandwidth because I mean, everything's recorded sort of over the internet. 
Um, so, you know, I want to have a, a minimal amount of glitches. Sometimes you'll hear a little glitch in recordings and that's just the internet catching up. But Ali was just so passionate. He'd been out flying all day and he was sitting in his shed surrounded by aeroplanes. He's truly a lover of aero modeling. And so, you know, great explanation there and, and I can't believe how much work is involved and having, you know, I have my own business and work with some large corporates and things like that, you know, to see those kind of processes that we see in some of the biggest companies in the world being applied in our hobby um, is, is good to see. And and I think, you know, the Hanging Nine product is is a top quality product. Uh, you know, well, they won the model of the year and that was Ali's doing. So, you know, listen to what he said, think about that, that carbon... How, uh, what would have been involved to produce that cub um, great work so well done Horizon Hobby and big thank you to Ellie for joining me on the podcast so now another international guest and uh, again well, I, I try to not necessarily always have the best of the best in the world on the podcast because I, I, I'm happy to talk to anyone in the hobby uh, you know some people have declined to come on the podcast because they don't think that they're exciting enough but as I say everyone's got a story to tell and that that's what I try to do. That's what I've always focused on is, is sharing people's stories in the hobby because I, you know, I personally find it interesting, and I think it's a different aspect to the hobby as well. And uh, you know, because we can talk about model airplanes so the cows come home, and you can watch YouTube videos and reviews on models and forums and all that kind of stuff. But you know, getting to know the aero modeler themselves is, is is a key thing for me, and that's what this podcast is really good at doing. But I happened to get a gun. Probably, I consider him to be the best freestyle aerobatics pilots in the, pilot in the world, and that is Jace the Ace Ducia. And what a bloke he is! Lovely guy, lovely family. Had uh, was fortunate to spend some time with him in China in 2018. If you look at the Life on High Rates video on YouTube on the Flat Out RC channel, you'll see that Jace played a part in that uh, that movie that I made. And uh, awesome guy. Um, came onto the podcast and really wanted to talk to him about uh, his flying, how he got into it, um, his pathway to uh, the top level of freestyle aerobatics. The guy is just, he, he's an aggressive flyer, but he's extremely precise, really in tune with the plane, and absolutely his life revolves around it, loves model flying. He's on the simulator all the time. He, he'll fly anything, and, and uh, he just gets so much enjoyment out of it and you can really, you know, he's benefited the world really, he's paved the way for a lot of pilots and and, and really motivated people to want to get into freestyle aerobatics and, you know, yeah, people the amount of people that fly rifle rolls like he does as a result of seeing Jace is just amazing now, so I, when I had Jace on the line I really want to understand his pathway to being a, a, an excellent pilot and, and how he did it, so Here's a little clip about Jace talking about his sort of pathway and the work that he put in and uh, his sort of methodology to to improve his flying, um, covering things like iMac and simulator and stuff like that. So Jace Ducia, how to be a gun. Listen up, everybody. You too could be like Jace. I'd get on the simulator and like if they had a freestyle routine at XFC, I'd try to, you know, fly the whole thing, you know, have their music playing and try to practice their routine that sort of thing but one cool thing about real flight is they have a flight instructor um option on real flight and uh, some of those exact pilots they had some videos uh preset on real flight showing their stick movements and some of the maneuvers and everything and they talked through it so uh, i watched that and uh um 
I mean, it helped a little bit. You know, you could see the stick input, so you could see uh, basically a starting point, and then from there, you know, you could pick up on the timing. And so, you how much this was all this practice was mainly done on the simulator, or were you going out to the field as well and uh, learning the tricks? Definitely, we'd uh, go out to the field, and I'd try some stuff up high, but everything was learned first on the simulator. Um, I mean, when we'd go out to the field, uh, it was basically, you know, one step at a time. So um, I'd learn a couple maneuvers on the simulator, then go out to the field and try it the next time. Um, you know, just went up high and tried some stuff, but mostly on the flight simulator for sure. I wouldn't... Um, see something on a YouTube video, for example, and uh, go out to the field and try it for the first time without trying it on the flight simulator first. Yeah. Okay. And, the, uh, yeah. and what kind of planes were you flying back then? What size were they? Um, my first actual aerobatic plane was an Aeroworks Yak 54, uh, 50 CC. And, uh, I flew that, um, I was eight or nine years old, flew that around. And, uh, and then, um, my dad and I had a Aeroworks 35% extra, extra 260 uh, with a DA100, and I flew that in iMac a little bit. And iMac helped um, learn how to execute the maneuvers and tie some maneuvers in and how to uh, make everything present well. And so I flew that plane in iMac. Uh, but those two planes are really uh, my first two uh, aerobatic planes. And uh, we also had an extreme flight yak. 110 inch and uh, that was the first plane i actually started playing around with 3d down low and everything besides the foamy um so really those three planes besides foamies have were uh really big influences uh, when i first started to fly aerobatics besides the flight simulator yeah now just want to talk about imac because you said you met you you, you flew imac Mm-hmm. when when did you decide to, you know, what drove you to, to, to have a go at iMac and get involved in that sort of scene for a while? Uh, if I remember correctly, uh, we just talked to a few people at events and uh, told them, you know, it'd be cool to um, get into some competition, you know, whether it be freestyle or precision. I just, you know, wanted to try some uh, some competing and they recommended iMac because it's pretty much open to everyone. Uh, the basic class, um, I think back then, pretty much any airplane was allowed, might still be the same today. Um, so pretty much open to everyone, like I said, and the maneuvers are fairly simple, but at the same time, um, you know, there's really good pilots and even in basic, you run into some contests to execute them really good. And, and uh, everyone was really helpful, I remember it. My first IMAC contest, you know, I'd make a contest flight and I'd get um, some pointers from some, some people afterwards. But, um, you know, I think one thing, too, is even doing some research on some of those XFC pilots that I saw. Um, a lot of them had an IMAC background, so I kind of uh, got an influence from from reading about that, too. You talked about getting onto YouTube, seeing these maneuvers. And what I find is with when it comes to aerobatics, we grab one singular maneuver and we learn that and we do a blender. But then trying to put it into a sequence so that your flight flows is the next challenge. Right. How did you make that transition from 
learning that individual maneuver, how to do a talk roll, and then putting that into a sequence? Was it a short period of time, long period of time, or something that you really worked on? Um, I think that's kind of a kind of something that is always going to continue to to grow. I guess you'd say I'm still working on it. You know, I, was, I learned a new maneuver today, or or um, you know, a new maneuver and a couple new maneuvers and uh, fly them over and over again. It's just something that it's always going on, I guess. But, um, you know, like I said earlier, the the practicing some other people's routines, I think, kind of helped with that a little bit because after doing it a few times, you could feel how they would transition in between maneuvers. And, uh, you know, it's kind of a lot of lot to do with muscle memory, too. So uh, you do one maneuver and it'll kind of relate back to what you did after that maneuver, like maybe the last flight or something like that. Maybe you'll, you'll tie two maneuvers together in the same, um, same order, two flights in a row or something like that. But, uh, I think that's, that's one thing that's one of the more challenging parts of any flying really in 3d flying and extreme aerobatics. Um, and it's a never ending learning process with that. And of course, like I said, as new maneuvers start to come out, um, the more you learn about how to tie everything together as well. So uh, I think that's something that, um, I mean, it, who knows if it'll ever be perfect. You know, you try to get a perfect flight with everything tied together, but uh, that's one of those things that you're just always working on for sure. What a legend. Jace the Ace Ducia. Uh Look, I, I know that our paths will cross again sometime, and I can't wait um, to catch up with him and... Uh, his family, um, maybe not in 2021 because I think COVID's still going to restrict international travel. But if I get over to the US, I'm making a beeline for the Ducia. So Andrew Sill's coming, guys. Have a plane for me ready to fly. Teach me a few things, Jase, because I'm nowhere near your level. But anyway, so now we're coming back home to um, uh, another guy that I had online earlier in the year and... Uh, his name's Mike O'Reilly. Mike O'Reilly is a prominent figure in the Australian hobby scene, the industry scene, but he's such a passionate pilot. There is no other person in the industry in Australia that is as passionate about model flying as Mike O'Reilly. He, I, I've met him a number of times, and, and the guy just, he's been working in the industry for like 40 years. He is still in love with flying model airplanes and, and looks forward to going flying jets or or gliders. Now, he's really big into gliding. And, I, and when I rang up Mike and I said, Mike, I want to have you on the podcast, I said, I just, you know, we'll talk a little bit about your whole, the, the industry side of things and your involvement in the industry, but you're a gun glider pilot and I want to talk about gliding. And uh, you know, it's a passion of mine. I really love gliding and, you know, I love, it's, it's a very skillful part of the hobby where you've really got to be educated in, in, not just how to fly a plane, but also things such as the weather and how thermals behave and, and be really observant when you're at the flying field. And normally when we go flying, we just stare at the plane flying around. But you have to be in touch with your surroundings to try to predict where uh, a thermal might be. Now, in this little clip that I'm going to play, I think it's probably one of the best questions that I've asked all year. And, and it was one relating to gliding of course and it basically went something like this that most of us go to a flying field 
with our glider and we just throw our glider up in the air and just hope for the best that we're going to find a thermal. Sheer luck in a kind of way. But I asked Michael, when you go out flying, is it sheer luck or, you know, is there something deeper and is there a process in, that you go through and give us some tips basically on what we should be doing when we go out and want to fly gliders? And Mike did an excellent job in explaining it. So here is that clip. Mike O'Reilly telling us how to fly a glider well. Yeah, so it's not luck. Um, luck plays a factor, but um, there are a whole lot of things that I think contribute to helping keep your glider up, and, and really that's what the competition side of it and I think also the sport flying side of it is about making it go higher than it was when you launched it, be that via a, a winch or an aero tow or a bungee or an electric motor. So the first step is to get your glider flying well. It needs to be trimmed such that centre of gravity surfaces are all aligned and that when you take your hands off the transmitter, the plane will fly itself. If it's diving, stalling, turning with no input from the pilot, you're making your life much, much harder because one of the secrets to detecting thermals is if the attitude of the plane changes, when you're not putting an input into it, it means the air is doing something. So if the glider starts sinking faster, then you're in sync. You need to fly out of that patch of air. If you're flying straight and level and the right-hand wingtip goes up in level flight, it probably means there's a thermal on the right-hand side of the glider. If the glider speeds up without sinking, you've flown through the middle of a thermal. So it's all about watching changes in how the glider is flying. And you can't pick that if you're continually working the elevator, putting aileron or rudder input in to make it fly straight and level. So a lot of the early flights with the new glider are about trimming the glider so that it will fly for extended periods with your hands not moving the sticks. So when you talk about trimming, though, are you talking about getting in and putting trim in your radio or are you physically trimming the plane in any way, shape or form as well? Because I could imagine that putting in, you know, 15 clicks of aileron is probably not going to be great uh, great for you. You know, you've got a bit of aileron input happening. What is it? What do you mean by trimming the plane? Is it... Yeah. A little bit of both. Um, centre of gravity is is a variable that uh, you need to play with. Um, so, uh, it need, again, it needs to not be diving or climbing. So that's a combination of centre of gravity and where the elevator setting is. You would hope with a, a well-designed glider that uh, with all the controls at neutral, then you leave the elevator alone and you play with the centre of gravity. Um I am a believer in doing what we call a dive test with the glider. So you get it to some altitude, put the nose down at about a 45-degree angle, and then take your hand off the sticks. If it dives even steeper, it's probably uh, you need to move the centre of gravity forward. If it starts to pull out of that dive, it is a little bit nose-heavy. So you need to move the centre of gravity backwards. And then to the question of your aileron and rudder inputs, I hope you don't need 15 clicks of right aileron because it means to warp in the wing. 
But if it takes that to make it fly in a straight line, then you, you need to do that unless you're able to straighten the wing by shrinking the plastic covering or doing something to straighten it up. So, yeah, centre gravity is really important um, that you get it in the sweet spot. A lot of gliders, uh, unless it's your own design, will come with the recommended centre of gravity range. And for the most part, that is a, that's something that you should follow with most of the gliders that are on the market nowadays. And then, yeah, build it straight, get it to fly straight, and then you're you're in a much better position to pick where the thermals are. In a competition environment, given that you've got your glider well trimmed, um, generally we know that your turn to fly or the next heat that you will compete in starts in two or three minutes. And uh, we look at the ground signs as to what is happening around us before we're going to launch the glider. So we'll often take out um, long sort of fishing poles with a bit of a streamer on the top. So you're watching changes in wind direction, which might indicate a thermal has gone through and is going to be downwind when you launch your glider. You look for birds. Birds are really good indicators of thermals, unless they're, when they're flapping a lot, that's a bad sign. Um, which just means you don't fly where the bird is that's flapping a lot. Um, we look at what other pilots' aeroplanes are doing. So in a competition, we'll have at least one helper. And if you're out sport flying, if someone is there with you and can see what other gliders are doing, if someone else is in a thermal, I'm not too proud to go and share that thermal. Um, it's telling you that there's something there. So there are there are things that you can watch that are also indicators of where a thermal might be. Big thank you to Mike. He's taught us all now how to fly gliders. What a legend. And you know, I'm going to keep on playing that clip back to myself before I go out gliding. And uh, so I can improve uh, my gliding abilities. And, you know, Mike's been at world championship level. He still competes in the, you know, he's very prominent in the South Australian scene. You know, it's amazing how much that guy has done. And, He's a really nice guy to boot and, and really been a strong supporter of Flat Out RC. And, and I didn't put him in, you know, a highlights reel because of that. I put him in, in because of what he said about gliding, which I thought was one of the best answers and value-added answers that came out all year. So big thank you to Mike. Now, coming back, we're still back at home now, but going up north, it's not every day that you get to have a multiple world champion on the podcast. And we're fortunate that uh, we have one in Australia. Chris Callow is his name. He's a pylon racer. And Chris was an awesome guy and really passionate about flying and loved to share his knowledge of pylon racing with everybody. And pylon racing is one of those things that it doesn't get a lot of mainstream coverage in the hobby. And I think I've been really happy this year that I really am mindful of trying to give the audience a mixture of content. Not all of us are into jets. Not all of us are into aerobatics. Not all of us are into scale. Uh, and not all of us are into pylon. But if you're a true aero modeler, you love hearing people talk about different things and learning. And Chris taught us about pylon racing. And I felt like a bit of a chump sitting here not knowing much about pylon racing. But I thought, well, wait a second. There's, there's a lot of you out there that are probably nodding your head now going, yeah, I don't know a lot about pylon racing as well. And so I asked him the question that I thought that you'd want to know if you wanted to find out more about pylon racing. And Chris did a great job at answering the question with a lot of enthusiasm as well. And um, I will have him back at some point in time, you know, once competing gets back on track and 
you know, back to world champs because no doubt he'll be there as well. But uh, here is Chris Kello giving us a bit of an understanding as to what pylon racing is all about. Yeah, so basically uh, we have a course set up, um, which is like a triangle. Um, it is uh, 400 metres per lap. Um, so we ended up doing 10 laps, which is a four-kilometre course. Um, obviously, we've got to fly around the pylon, so it's more than four kilometres. Uh, but we do 10 laps, 400 metres per lap, um, and we sort of try and, you know, go as fast as we can around those 10 laps. And um, at the end of the day, after 15 flights, lower score wins. So you need to go go fast and reliable um, and also um, as tight as you can the pylons. The engines we use are a MB, so Mechtemeyer engine. Um, a, a very good friend of mine has designed and built this engine. He lives in Holland, um, and he started off with uh, control line and um he, you know, built a normal engine, then he built an integral barrel like he's got now. And um, basically the barrel on the engine we use now is an integral barrel. Um, and Rob McDemire is the first person to actually design and build that. Uh, and what, what it is, is um, basically a motorcycle engine. You look at a motorcycle engine, you bolt the barrel on, you've got the big ports up the side. Um, and, um, yeah, so we we use them and um, he, he builds a beautiful product. Um, we modify the crankshaft and the piston, light the piston off and, you know, arrow the conrod and do all these things to it. But um, from a, you know, out-of-the-box engine, absolutely beautiful. It has to be 6.5cc, the engine that we use, which is a 40 size, um, and you can do anything you want. So we, you know, light the pistons, do the crankshafts, do the conrods, do the back clay. We, we do many, many things to the engine. But as long as it's 6.5cc, you can do anything you want to the engine. What a guy, Chris Kello, six-time world champs, I think he is, six times, uh, something like that. Could be nine, but anyway, multiple world champion. Uh, that is just a difficult feat to achieve even once, but he's done it multiple times, and you know he's he, he's living up in Queensland, comes from Australia. He's really one of Australia's greatest athletes when you think about it. There's not many athletes out there that can win that many world championships over such a long period of time and it's it's not just about chris it's his whole family's involved in it it's it's ingrained in the family life and so yeah love that chat with chris Kello. now with all these guests and you know these highlights real just go back and have a look at on um on your streaming platform that you're listening to and you'll see all the guys you want to hear the full interviews they're all there so whether you're listening to it on apple Podcasts, spot spotify or soundcloud or google Podcasts or any of the other ones that share this uh this podcast jump online go back and have a listen to some of the highlights and there were so many look i could have kept on going but i don't think you want to listen to a four-hour episode of reruns but uh there's just some of the highlights and really i selected them based on little bits of things that i really enjoyed and that that added a bit of value to to, to my thinking around aero modeling in the past 12 months Now, times for some more Flat Out RC 2020 awards. And I'll just give you a little tip. We will be doing the top 10 Flat Out RC podcast guests in 2020 based on how many people listen to them. Uh, and uh, so that will be coming up very, sh- very shortly. But because we're talking about guests, um, I want to hand out some awards to, firstly, the International Guest of the Year. And this is awarded to, and we had many, we had, you know, 
uh, Ali Machinchi, Peter Goldsmith, who's an Aussie but living in the US and a, a US citizen now as well. Uh, we had Ole Loveberg from uh, Loveborg from Sweden. We had Martin Brandmuller. We had Gerno Brookman. We had Jace the Ace Ducia. Um, did I mention Martin Pickering? A whole bunch of top-notch era models. When I just say their names, I think, crikey, what a good job to get those guys. Give, give myself a pat on the back there. But uh, awesome guys um, to, to get on there. Some of the best in the world, really. Just, just mention the name Gurno Bookman and, and, and Jace the Ace in one sentence. That's just phenomenal. But drum roll, please. The Flat Out RC International Guest of the Year is a man that featured in our Highlights Reel, and that is Ali Machinchi. I'm awarding this to Ali Machinchi because uh, he was just so enthusiastic and just gave us gold. Every answer was just a phenomenal answer, and I could have kept on going for, for many more hours with Ali, and he was so enthusiastic to be on the podcast, and and you know, just shared with us some real information and insights, you know, as, as like the highlights we just played, but but you know about his jet flying and all that kind of stuff. And and he was really the perfect uh, podcast guest. You know, there's been many like there were uh, a lot of other great guests. You know, like Martin Pickering, what a legend. I loved my chat with Martin Pickering. Gerno Brookman was great. Catching up with Martin Brandmuller, who's a good friend of mine, and of course JCA. You're talking about great names there, but for 2020. Ali Machinchi, well done. You win the Flat Out RC International Guest of the Year. Well, now to the next award, which is the Flat Out RC Award for the Local Guest of the Year. Uh, and again, this gentleman had, uh, featured in our highlights reel. Uh, uh, the multiple world champ, Chris Kello. Well done. Flat Out RC, local guest of the year, the Australian guest of the year. And the reason why I've awarded this to Chris is a couple of reasons. Um, it wasn't the most popular podcast all year, but Chris, like Ali Machinchi, had the enthusiasm for the hobby. And, and you expect that somebody that's been, been competing at a top level for 20 plus years would be jaded a bit by the hobby and been there, done that kind of thing, but not Chris. And... The reason why I'm giving this award is because we just learnt so much about pylon racing um, from Chris. He was a, such a good stalwart for the for the pylon racing scene, uh, and really wants to to foster it and, and see it grow. And you know, I I felt like I was asking baby questions in a kind of way, and he just kept on going and ploughing through them and giving us some gold back. So Chris Callow, local guest of the year. You know, look, I was just going through my list again of, of some of the guys we've had. You know, Paul Bennett, uh, David Millwood, the DLG master, he, he gave us some gold. Tim DeHaan, Michael Hobson from the MAAQ, you know, these are special mentions. Peter Goff, Peter Goff, a scale guru. And some of these guys will end up having back on. And even some of the new ones, Dennis Travisaros. Travisaros, sorry, Dennis. Travisaros, F3A guru. Uh, Levi Wagner talking jets. So, uh, you know, special mention to all those guys. But Chris Callow, I'm just giving you the award because you know, we didn't have a chance to compete this year and win a world champ. And I, uh, so you win the flat out RC local guest of the year. Well done, Chris. Okay, now for the the award 
Counting down from 10, the most listened to podcast. Who was the most popular podcast in 2020? Now, I'm recording this. I'm going to give you a date. This is recorded as of the 19th of December. So I normally record the intros and the outros on the weekend prior to the launch on the Wednesday. And so to make this fair, it's a a live uh, thing. So I'm just clicking clicking on now to have a look at the 10 to 1 most listened to podcasts. And it's very close uh, with some of them. Uh, I'll give you the differences between some of them. So starting off at number 10. Out of 38, we had 38 podcasts. Number 10. Uh, Michael Hobson, all the way from Queensland, NAAQ president, great guy, uh, major uh, player in the IMAX scene over many years, was president of the uh, Scale Arrows group for a long time. Now, you know, doing some great things at NAAQ level as president. He comes in as number 10, a special mention to Peter Goff, who just missed out by six listens. Well, and Ali, uh, Ali Machinchi. Just looking at this now, Ali Machinchi in 12th, it will equal with Peter Goff and Ian Howard for, oh, crikey, seriously, anywhere from Tyson Dodd, Aaron Bones Gale, Mike O'Reilly, Ian Howard, Ali Machinchi and Peter Goff, they were within 10, 10 listens to the 10th spot. So good job, guys. Michael Hobson at number 10. Now, moving to number nine is one of a recent episode. So Michael was episode 22. We fast forward to episode 35. Dennis Travisaros pipped Michael Hobson by one listen. One person listened. So he holds down nine. And Dennis did a good job because normally what, what's happening with the numbers, and it's a bit sort of, well, it, actually, it's not totally unfair because you can see Dennis is a, a recent episode that a lot of people are discovering the podcast and then going back and listening to them. So some of the older podcasts had more time to get some listens. But Dennis proves that you can still get plenty of listens in a short period of time. So well done, Dennis Travisaros. In number nine, the Flat Out RC hit list in 20... What we call it? The top 40. It's not top 10, like the old top 40 charts. You know? So moving on to number eight. And what's interesting, we've had two sort of aerobatic kind of guys in nine and 10. Moving to number eight, we've got another aerobatic guy. And another guy that's involved in the IMAX scene. And you know what? He pipped, uh, he just got scraped in in the eighth position. He's one listen ahead of Dennis Travisaros, and that is Michael Andrusik, the IMAX president. He's the man responsible for running the scale aeros scene, the IMAX scene here in Australia. And he was an awesome bloke. You know, great interview um, with Michael. And a, a, a guy that single-handedly grew IMAX back in Victoria again. I, I rate him highly and I've told that to him fa- to his face that I rate him very highly as far as the work that he's done to, to grow IMAC and, and will continue to do so in the next year. So he, he just scraped into eighth spot. He beat Dennis Travisaros by one listen. Well, moving on to the next place, we're talking about seventh place here. And can you believe it that the difference between 10th and 7th place, it's separated by one, two, three three listens, three viewers, we'll call them. Uh, Steve Richardson, 
He scraped into seventh place by one place, beating Michael Andrusik. Uh Steve, we're going to classify him as an aerobatics guy. He was involved in the IMAX scene for a long time as well. Used to work at Desert Aircraft. Now he's the man behind JR um, running running the show here in Australia, but also an avid jet guy as well now and, and a, a phenomenal builder. Absolutely awesome builder of aircraft, and has been doing that professionally for people as well, because they just trust him so much. Whether it be a jet or a scale model or something like that, Richo is the man. So, well done, Richo. Seventh most listened podcast this year. Well done. Now, moving to number six is a little bit of a jump, not a massive jump, but a little bit of a jump to number six, and we're going overseas to the expat Peter Goldsmith, holding down sixth position. Episode 13 it was. So it was a while back. Uh, Peter didn't know how he was going to go on the podcast. He was a bit nervous. You know, didn't know how whether he'd present that well, but we had a great chat. It went on for quite a while. It was probably one of the, one of the longest ones. Well, I think Martin Pickering took the cake for being the longest podcast interview, but we just couldn't stop talking because we were having so much fun. But Peter was the same. He had so much, such a good story to tell. And there's so much, he's done so much in the hobby, both in Australia and abroad. So, it was great to um, uh, have that have that opportunity to talk to Peter Goldsmith. And so he held down uh, the sixth position quite comfortably. So now we move to the top five. And it gets pretty tight up here in the top five. Bit of a gap from Peter Goldsmith to the, to the fifth position. And in fifth position is a surprise packet. Eddie Edwards, the man behind the RC World business, the Tate's Toys and Hobbies business, Eddie Edwards, he's an aerobatics guy as well. A lot of these guys were aerobatic guys. Peter Goldsmith, classify him as, um, yeah, aerobatics guy, glider guy <laughs> as well. But Eddie Edwards, he uh, he he represented Australia at multiple pattern world championships. You know, flew at the at top level. Uh, and then, of course, all the work that he's done in the industry. And, and he's a good friend to Eddie. And uh, I love having a chat with Eddie at any point in time. Um, you know, he, I call him the toy man because not only does he tell, sell toys, but I've seen his hangar full of toys from race cars to motorbikes to you know, even racing simulators, you name it. He's got an aerobatic. He's got a full-size yak that he uh, flies. Uh, so Eddie Edwards holding down the fifth position, top five. Well done, Eddie Edwards. Now, that was in... Very early on, that was episode two. Uh, so he made his mark quite early on. Um, a lot of those listens came very, very early on. But Eddie Edwards, a really uh, popular choice amongst the podcast listeners. So now moving to fourth place. And this the next couple sort of were expected. Well, I expected that they'd be pretty popular. Um, and that's because often they have a, a good following on social media and uh, you know, as soon as they mention the podcast, you know, people jump on and have a listen. So holding down fourth place again, quite a big gap. You know, we're, we're up, um, you know, at least forty, no, sixty more listens than on the fifth place. Uh, is Jace the Ace Ducia, the gun, all the way from the US, jumped on the line. Um, we started the interview, oh, they had to get him to move because it was too noisy. I think he was outside in the shed or outside. I don't know. He moved rooms for me. Uh, we had a bad line, that's right. But we got it, got there in the end. And so Jace, top four, did expect that he, that, it, that that podcast would perform well. Again, aerobatics guy. 
Hmm, common theme here. Aerobatics God. Um, but I think really he's following spread and uh if I just actually let's see if I oh, I can't click on that. I was gonna see if I can drill down a bit further on those metrics to see if we got um, some support from the US. But uh, anyway, we'll get to that actually. I'll, tell, I'll share some, some more numbers with you. But anyway, uh, JCA's Ducia holding down fourth position, episode 18 he was. Next one, number three, back to aerobatics again. Another big name in the hobby. He he has just pipped Jace the Ace by two listens. He's two listens ahead of Jace the Ace, uh, uh, Ducia, Gurno Brookman, the gun from Europe. He's the Arnold Schwarzenegger of aerobatic flying. Uh, comes from Austria. Absolute legend. Uh, you know, the man to beat at competitions, really. You know, he's got he's got a he's got a target on his back, that guy, because he's won everything pretty much. And not only is he a great aerobatics pilot, but a glider pilot as well. You know, loves gliders. His dad got he's a passionate glider um, builder and flyer and 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 they've got their own business where they're building models professionally and you have to save up your pennies to pay for them because we're talking about top-notch stuff here. So, Guno Brookman, well done. Just pipped JCA's by two listens to hold down number three. So, we're really getting to the pointy end here. Really getting to the pointy end. And what's interesting is, yes, these pointy end ones uh, were um, came very early on in, in this year, uh, but they've consistently been at the top, consistently at the top. So, they've grown, you know, through the year... Uh, so both of these ones, you know, have performed exceptionally well. And we're talking about a bit of a jump too from third to second by about 30 listens and holding down number two position. And he would be chuffed to hear his name as he always is, Craig Bavery. Craig Bavery, episode one. And you know what? It, it was one of it was the first podcast, Flat Out RC podcast ever produced. And the audio, my audio was terrible. And I'll, I'll give you a little secret why. I had, the, I had the microphone the wrong way around. And it's not one of those like microphones that rock stars use kind of thing where it's just, you know, the round bit at the end. It's this sort of studio microphone that's sort of like double-sided. And, and I, I worked out at the end. I had it facing the wrong way. And that's why it sounded like it was an echo chamber. But since then, I learned a lot. Um, I moved the recording into my bedroom where the internet's terrible, but... There's lots of soft furnishing, so there's no echo. So I come up to the uh, to my bedroom and record a little desk set up and off we go. But well done to Craig Bavery. Uh, good guy. Known Craig for a while. And, you know, he competed in aerobatics. He's an aerobatics guy as well. He's flown jets, gliders, you name it. You know, he's the hobby man. He's got he's got lots of different hobbies in the go. I can't keep up with all the projects, uh, you know, that he's into. He's got he's into full-size flying now. He's got a he's got a pit sitting in his garage. He's got, he bought another light aircraft that he's uh, doing some training on now to get his license and his, you know, cars, you name it. Craig, you're a legend and well done. The second most listened to podcast of 2020. Flat out RC podcast. Gee, what a legendary guy. Anyway, um, drum roll, please. Number one, the most listened to podcast in 2020. Flat out RC podcast, of course, uh, and it's not an aerobatics guy, and and this guy wouldn't even realise uh, how popular his podcast has been. Now, when we're looking at numbers, we're talking about. Let me just do some quick maths here. About thirteen listens in a very very close battle. 
between number two and number one. 13 li- listens in, in, in uh, separate them. But it's a scale guy. Episode three. Couple after number two. Episode number three, and that man is David Law. David Law, the most listened to Flat Out NC podcast in 2020. Well done. Uh, and it was great. Uh, like When I was listening to some of the highlights of David's uh, the interview, it was just the guy so articulate and so passionate and knows so much about aero modeling and scale building. And, and he's been on the scene for a long time, you know, cut his teeth at the Doncaster Club and, you know, he flies aerobatics. I consider you an aerobatics guy as well, David, but uh, but he's a scale gun. Like when you have a look at his models close up, they're just phenomenal. And that resonated with a lot of people, especially in that scale scene. I think they were really interested to hear David's story. Uh, and so, yep. Yeah, he wins. Well done. Number one gun. <laughs> the uh, He really um, is a great modeler. Now, so well done to the top 10. Um, look, if I pick a favorite, it's very hard for me to pick a favorite podcast uh, because I did enjoy uh, a lot of them. Uh, you know, there was not one, you know, Ash Cox and John Lamont, the 87-year-old that, you know, produces a um a, you know, a, a, a publication newsletter um and has done for many many uh years you know in the hobby uh my mate uh, ray younger up in darwin that you know we managed to get to everywhere except wa and wa i'm very very disappointed because i keep on inviting guests from wa and i never get a response i don't know why i don't know why so what I'm trying to do now is I'm going to share with you who are the most popular popular countries. Because I've told you before that we get many different countries listening to uh, the podcast. Um, and I'll do a countdown. Um, let me get, we'll do the, we'll do the 20 to 1. Because, well, let me just read out some of the names, right, that are below 20. Iceland, South Africa, Slovenia, Denmark, Slovakia, Ireland, Brazil, Taiwan, Colombia, Argentina, Japan, India, Hong Kong, Greece, Turkey, Thailand, Brunei, Portugal, Indonesia, Singapore, Jordan, Belarus, Hungary, Lithuania. Crikey. Okay. Number 20. 20th position. We'll go pretty quickly through these. The Russian Federation. Holding down 20th spot. In 19th, France. Bonjour to all the French listeners out there. Saudi Arabia, holding down 18th position. Well done. 17th, Israel. Israel has a phenomenal era modeling scene, especially around aerobatics. There's just so many good guys coming out of Israel. We've got Aurel Zohar, who is world-class aerobatics guy. This guy is a gun. If you don't know who he is, check him out. Aurel Zohar, O-R-E-L-Z-O-H-A-R. Go and check him out. Go and check out Ben Cohen, C-O-H-E-N. Young guy, up and coming, going to be a superstar on the aerobatics scene. Uh, he is a legend. So, Israel, thanks for getting on board with Flat RC Podcast the 17th. 16th, the land of Sasha Ciccone, Italy. Buonasera. Let's see if you listen to it or not. Uh, thanks, all the Italians out there. Probably Sasha Ciccone listening to him, so good day to Sasha. 
Fifteenth, uh, Spain. I think that's the Martin Pickering influence. Martin Pickering is responsible for getting the podcast into Spain. He he lives in Spain. You can't tell he's from the UK originally, but he's been living in Spain for twenty years or something. Uh, and he, he's actually, you know, if you haven't followed Martin on his YouTube channel, go and follow him, Martin Pickering RC, I think it is, or Martin Pickering, one of the two. You'll find him on YouTube. Go and follow his channel. He's actually doing a a Spanish channel as well because he's his Spanish. Uh, audience has really wanted something from him uh so well done spain in 15th 14th netherlands well done netherlands 13 mexico 12th switzerland wonder whether that's the david law connection with his mates in switzerland 11 belgium 10 austria come on austria i had gerno i had martin brandmuller come on you should be higher than 10 uh ninth czech republic another great country for aero modeling like people people don't realize what a major part the Czech Republic plays in their hobby especially around gliding and you know krill uh you know great brands you know really big big player in the uh in the scene and, and top quality stuff as well so big thank you to the Czech Republic Germany in 8th position Kiwis New Zealand in 7th you should be high Kiwis you're practically Australian come on uh, and we're hoping to have some um, New Zealand guests on uh, in 2021. Norway, uh, 173. Canada, sorry, it's 173 people. Uh, Norway in sixth position. Fifth place, Canada. Love Canada. Spent a couple of months in Canada back in 92, the summer of 92, 93. Skiing, great place, Canada. Can't wait to get back there. Fourth place, Sweden. Uh, well, we had Ole from Sweden on board, so he probably helped those numbers. The UK is in third position. And then, drumroll please, second place, the US. Big, big supporters in the US. Big, big supporters. So a big shout out to everybody in the US. Uh, thanks for listening to the Flat Out RC podcast. Hope you can understand my accent. Uh try to speak clearly most of the time but big thank you to the u.s audience for for listening to flat out rc podcast uh about 1700 of you have listened uh, to the podcast a big big thank you and then of course number one is my homeland australia which is to be expected uh but well done a big thank you to the local audience here now just for those of you in australia if you want to know who are the most popular cities because i've got that that data as well in front of me melbourne melbourne you're winning you're the most uh, popular you know, audience for the Flat Out RC podcast, then Sydney, Brisbane, Adelaide, Perth, Perth. I need to get someone from WA. And then we've got Columbus in the US. Caroline Springs is a suburb in Melbourne. <laughs> They're ranking in the top 10. Oslo, Hudson in the US, Stockholm. There's some other interesting ones. Uh, Austin, Texas, Huntington Beach, Regina in Canada, Dover. Fairfax, Dunmo, where's that? It's the UK. Uh, so yeah, good representation. So when you um, when I say that uh, you know introduce this podcast is coming from land down under, that's the reason why. See, if there's any other stats I can share with you that might be interesting, but anyway, it's been a really good year uh, for Flat Out RC and uh, plenty more to come. Well, to wrap for 2020, as far as the Flat Out RC podcast goes, it's been an awesome year, the first year of me doing this podcast. And I really do hope that you have enjoyed 
them. And, and a big thank you to those that have sent me emails saying that they really enjoy the podcast. And of course, people that don't like the podcast are going to send me messages, but they're not going to listen. If you don't like the podcast, don't listen to it. That's fine. You know, we're doing this for fun. Uh, just giving you a bit of a bit of light entertainment to to help you along your journey in aero modeling. I've really, really enjoyed having all the guests and a big thank you to to all the guests that have spent the time to come onto the podcast because uh, uh, they've done it willingly and uh, enthusiastically as well. And you know if I hit you up to be on the uh, on the podcast, don't be afraid because it's a really simple process and and a lot of people that were a bit nervous about being on a podcast, at the end, come and say, oh, look, I didn't realize it'd be that easy. So it's just having a chat with me and uh, and I'm happy to have a chat with you. So really enjoyed it. And again, thank you to everybody for listening and, and make sure you subscribe, get on board with the Flat Out RC movement on the YouTube, on the Flat Out, on the Flat Out RC YouTube channel. Hopefully 2021, more YouTube videos coming. My damn arm and my shoulder is not helping the situation, but I'm going to give it a crack. I'm going to work out how I can do it. So more videos will be coming in 2021. Uh, Facebook, jump on the Facebook and of course, Instagram as well. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Now, uh, to round things off, you probably want to know what's going to happen in 2020. Well, sorry, 2021. Podcast is going to come back. I'm going to take a break. I just, I just want to have a break. I want to get my shoulder in order. And so I'm going to take January off. Uh, but but trust me, I'll be back, um, back in, uh, in February. And what I'm going to do in January is really have a bit of a think about uh, some of the content that I want to deliver on the podcast. Still going to uh, have the guests and that kind of stuff. And we may even have some repeat guests. You know, um, Alan Michinci said he'd love to come back on, and, you know, when they've got some new models out and things like that. He's always up for a chat. Um, so we might, uh, you know, I'd love to have a chat with Martin Pickering, getting get him on board and see how things are going with Martin, um, you know, have some more glider guys uh, have some more drones i'm going to tee up uh some drone interviews as well that are coming so trying to keep things as diverse as possible but uh i'm toying with another idea as well which i won't divulge yet but uh maybe you know not a sub series but just a few different episodes uh throughout the year that uh that you might enjoy so uh, the plan is, as I said, January will take a break. Uh, February will come back and uh, we'll power through to uh, hopefully the end of the year. Um, and we might even get a sponsor for this show. We haven't even had a sponsor, but uh, hit me up if you're interested in uh, hitting a bit of an era modeling audience around the world because you can see we are hitting uh, a global stage. And again, just thank you to all of you for listening. I really, really uh, appreciate you spending your listening time to me rabbiting, it on, rabbiting on. Uh, it's a bit awkward sometimes just talking to a microphone, but if anybody knows me, they know that I, I love to talk. I hope I haven't chewed your ear off too much. So a very, very Merry Christmas uh, to all of you. Happy Hanukkah to my Jewish friends over in Israel and all the listeners around the world as well. And a Happy New Year. This year is over. We survived it. Well done, everybody. We deserve a pat on the back. Uh, here's to better and brighter brighter things um in 2021 and just going to finish on a bit of a personal note and that is rest in peace Ido Sebe.